0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. You shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even in my male servants and female servants, in those days they all pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The Word of the Lord. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. There's always a backstory. Whenever you hear a story, there's something that happened before the story begins. And when it comes to this story, and just stories in the Bible, generally speaking, either we can presume to take it upon ourselves to provide the backstory, or we can turn to the Bible and actually learn what the backstory actually is. I think most folks choose to do the former. They come to the Bible, and they think they understand themselves and their needs, and they come to the Bible and say, Okay, God, address me on my terms. I understand exactly what's going on in my life. Now it's time for you to solve my problems. That's basically the way folks approach just Scripture reading or the Lord in general. When I was a kid, I went to a fairly tough school in, in St. Louis, and every, every day, you know, I faced the prospect of getting into a fight, got into a lot of fights in school, and I would pray, you know. And it was uh, this idea that I had that God was just waiting for me to pray. Like, it was like, you know, it made his day when I prayed. And, it, you know, and basically my, my mindset was, you know, God was, you know, the thing you turn to or the one you turn to in case of emergency. Like, in case of emergency, break glass. So I would break glass, and I'd pray on my way to school. God, get me, you know through this day alive. And I promise that if I come out of this alive, that I will serve you each and every day of my life. And then at the end of the day, three o'clock, the bell would ring and I'd run home and forget everything I said. you know. And then I'd do the same thing the next day, just repeat. That was kind of the way I kind of thought about the purpose of God. God existed to kind of be there in case I needed him. But there is a, a larger backstory just generally speaking, with regard to who we are and what we're here for, and uh, a backstory related to this particular story in the Bible, and I'd like to get into that backstory. And there are two chapters to the backstory that I reflect on with you a little bit because they help us understand just what is going on. One of those uh, chapters is uh, about a tower that was built in the 11th chapter of Genesis, the famous Babel Tower story. Have you ever associated what occurred there with what occurs here? If you never have, well, I understand sometimes preachers don't make it very easy for you to see connections, but there are connections. What happens in that story is reversed in this story. You know the story, right? You could think of it as sort of the reverse of the curse. I'm a Red Sox fan, so when I hear reverse the curse, I think about when the Red Sox finally broke through and won the World Series in 2004, thereby reversing the curse of the Bambino. But that's a whole other backstory and a different happy ending. So to this story, though, uh, the Babel Tower story is about a time in which everybody spoke the same language. Everybody spoke the same language, and they all lived together, and they were part of the same political community. So everybody was unified, and everybody understood each other. And what did the folks do with all of this unity? What what purpose was this unity directed? Well, we're told in that story, it's in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, we're told in that story that they decided they wanted to make a name for themselves. Make a name for themselves. And they wanted to hold everything together. Wanted to make sure that they didn't get... Divided as a political community, so that they could keep, you know, together and, and work together and accomplish great things. So uh, in effect, that's what happens. They build this tower to serve that purpose. It's very impressive. The tower itself implied something. The tower itself implied a kind of uh, desire to elevate themselves to a godlike status, to ascend into the heavens. Uh, that or bring the gods down or bring God down to their level. In either case, you have a kind of arrogation of authority here. This is where we get the word arrogant. <coughs> arrogation. They arrogate to themselves authority that they don't possess uh, in their quest to make a name for themselves. <coughs> and the Lord comes down to see what they're up to. By the way, I've mentioned this perhaps before when I've been with you. Whenever we're told in the Old Testament that God comes down to see what's going on, it's not a good thing at least from the standpoint of the people who he's he's checking out. It's sort of like when you were a kid and you were beating up your little brother or sister in the basement and your father yells down there into the basement, don't make me come down there. That's kind of the dynamic. So when the Lord comes down, it's to straighten things out. He's checking it out. He wants to investigate the situation and see whether or not what he's heard is as bad as he thinks he's heard, if you get my drift. So he comes down, he sees what's going on, and then the Lord, in verse 7, notes that uh, this is really a remarkable of achievement. And he says, in effect, if this is what they can pull off when they all have the same language and they're a part of a, you know, a common, political, unified community, nothing will be impossible for them. Nothing will be impossible for them. And instead, do I have a microphone issue here? Oh, I'm just... Nothing to do with me? Okay, okay. Anyway, I just thought maybe I needed to speak up or something. But anyway, so there's uh, this occurring in the background. You've got this, uh, this judgment that's, that's rendered, and the Lord, rather than, con- than congratulating them, confuses their speech. And then, but in the fact, in the, in, by confusing his, their speech, they are not able to finish the tower, and their community is broken up. And uh, people uh, no longer are able to communicate with each other. So what ends up happening in this, in this story is that you've got uh, the objective of making a name for yourself or making a name for themselves and holding things together. And, and in so doing, they actually make a name for themselves. And the name that they make for themselves is a kind of watchword or a joke. So today, when you hear the word babble, you don't think, what an admir- admirable accomplishment, you think. This is meaningless nonsense. That's what the name is associated with now. So uh, we have that. But uh, they also fail to hold things together. So they strive to create a community that uh, elevates their own status, glorifies them in the process of making a name for themselves, and holding things together and and retaining the unity that they had, had enjoyed as a political community. That's in the background when we hear the story about Pentecost. Another thing that's important to remember is that Pentecost itself is a feast. It's the Feast of Weeks. It follows uh, Passover, and it's seven weeks following Passover that the Feast of Weeks is celebrated. So Pentecost means 50, so 50 days are counted out. Seven times 7, 49, add one. There you go. You get Pentecost. And that is uh, the the uh, event that's being uh, celebrated when the Spirit falls, and the entire uh, you know audience that has assembled for the feast in Jerusalem gets to hear Peter's uh, sermon. And what what you have uh, with regard to these two events, these two sort of chapters in the backstory is a framework within which to understand what's occurring at pentecost what is occurring at pentecost let's think a little bit about that as i noted, it is a reverse of the curse we still live in a world where we're trying to make a name for ourselves i don't know if you've thought about that but throughout the course of human history people have tried to make a name for themselves you know think about significant of uh, political and military conquerors like Alexander the Great, Caesar, Napoleon, etc. And in each case, this quest to make a name for oneself is wrapped up with this drive to try to create a single unified uh, community that extends over the face of the entire globe. And the justification for this quest is always the same thing, or at least this is the propaganda. Think of what we can accomplish if we just work together for a change. If we just stop fighting and we just decide to to, to work together, we could, you know, do anything. And instead of the Lord dismissing us and saying that's just nonsense, the Lord actually agrees. If that were the case nothing would be impossible for them and depending on how you read that it says something about you if if you hear the words uh, that uh, are you know proclaimed by the Lord in judgment and you think well it's just because he's jealous he doesn't want a rival he doesn't want to have his own plans thwarted and a bunch of you know, fully autonomous, independent, able to stand on their own people uh, live without him because he's that petty. If you think that, then uh, not only do you lack faith, uh, you're in some sense deluded because what that implies is that you think or you have the conviction that you and I and the world itself are somehow self-existing, that we don't rely upon God and his grace and his creative power to be who we are and to be here today but if you do acknowledge that if you do see that that is the case that you and i are utterly dependent upon god for every good and perfect gift that is you know you know descends from above then what you see in this account is not a sort of jealous and petty tyrant trying to Preserve his own status, you see a severe mercy. What God is doing is he's opening up space for redemption and for eternal life because he is the source of life, not only the life that we enjoy biologically, bias, but spiritually, zoe, eternal life, the life that has its origin in him and cannot be separated from him. In other words, you can't have eternal life without God. It's not like you're going to, you know, the buffet and you have all of the different things that you can take from, from the Bible and from God and say, I'll have eternal life, but I won't have fellowship with God. I don't like that fellowship with God stuff. All that submission stuff, it just runs me the wrong way. But eternal life, I'm into that. It doesn't work that way. It's the blue plate special. <laughs> I don't, I'm old enough to remember what a blue plate special was. We live in a world where it's all, you can have it your way. But in, that, in the old days, it was just like, you have it the chef's way. The blue plate special, that's all there is. Take it or leave it. That's salvation. It's all there. You can't pick and choose. And the curse, though, is still with us. What do I mean by that? We still live in a world that's divided, right, politically. Different communities, divided even uh linguistically. I remember when I was a kid and I'd read the you know the account of the Tower of Babel in the children's Bible, you know, those wonderful children's Bibles with all the illustrations. I thought it was just a a way to explain why the French talk so funny. I was like, Tower of Babel, that's why the French talk so funny. If it wasn't for the Tower of Babel, they'd all speak English, like us, good English-speaking people. But it's actually much more subtle and, and sort of powerful in, this, in the sense that even though we all speak English in this room, isn't it true that we're not all on the same page even when we hear the same words? We live in a world today where people are debating about the meaning of pretty you know sort of simple terms. <laughs> Man. Woman. We have a Supreme Court Justice who can't define a woman. I'm not a biologist. Well, neither am I. (laughs) But it used to be that we all could say, this is obvious, but is it so obvious anymore? There's a reason why it's not obvious. And the reason is because we don't trust God and His Word, we don't have a basis for trusting anybody else either. And because we don't trust anybody else, we don't want to accept what they say or what they mean because they may be out to get us, take advantage of us. And that's, that's the real thing that divides communities, an inability to trust each other. And I think, this is my own take, don't take this as the end of the story, but. When I hear about the Tower of Babel and the the sort of the the fracturing of that community, the more it intended to sort of hold it all together, the harder it got to keep it all together. And finally things broke apart. So the reason why, uh, you know, the French talk so funny, I guess does have something to do with the Tower of Babel, but it may also have something to do with why the Democrats talk so funny and why the communists talk so funny, and why the republicans talk so funny, and why the libertarians talk so funny, and why people who are in different parties can't understand each other and refuse to listen. That's the world we live in. Language and community fracturing. So, our only hope is to be found in God, to get back on good terms with him, and that's what this story is about. God coming to the rescue, coming to the rescue and telling us that the name that uh, we should long for is not the one we make for ourselves, but the one he's given us. There is no other name given unto man by which he can be saved. Right? Christ Jesus is the name. We need to find um, ourselves in him and identify with him and share in his glory rather than try to glorify ourselves, which is always vainglory. True glory is something that God shares with us. Vainglory is something that we create for ourselves and it passes away. So now let's come back to this story and hear the rest of the story. So we're told in the book of Acts that the apostles would be witnesses. Remember that from chapter 1? The Lord says that they were going to be his witnesses. But the question then is, is what did they witness? What were the, what were the apostles' witnesses of? And why, does that, why is that so significant when it comes to a common language and a common, commun- a common life with other people? Was it the crucifixion that they saw? Well, that was actually public knowledge. If you look at this uh, account, uh, or ac- actually at the sermon itself, uh, here uh, in verse 23, Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the de- definite plan of foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In other words, everybody already knew that. Uh, was it the signs and wonders, all the marvelous things that Jesus had done? where they witnesses? Uh, in that sense, that they had seen all of that stuff and other people had not. No, actually, you go back to verse 22. He says, uh, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. They knew that. They knew about the signs and wonders. They knew about the crucifixion. So what were the apostles privy to that the other folks who were there that day were not. Well, you jump down uh, to verse 32 and you'll see what it is. He says, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. It's the resurrection that they had witnessed. And it was the resurrection that they had been charged with you know, going out and telling other people about because what occurred in the resurrection was a marvelous uh... overruling of a higher court uh... when it came to the judgment of a lower court Have you ever ever seen you know in the course of the sort of the american judicial experience where you have a lower court makes a decision and then there's appeal appeal to a higher court and then the ruling of the lower court is overturned that's what you have here the lower court what sanhedrin roman authorities pretty significant principalities and powers on the ground they had condemned to death the man that God had in effect said is my man and then after his death and his burial the higher court reverses the decision overrules raises him from the dead and In Athens, in chapter 17, later in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul tells the Athenians that the reason why Jesus was going to judge the world is because he had been raised from the dead. He is the Lord. And he's ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. So that's the back story. And because of that back story, And the backstories I've already noted, we see in Pentecost a marvelous sort of coming together the various threads of the story. We see in Pentecost what? People being able to understand each other for a change from all over the world. And what are they hearing? They're hearing the apostles proclaim the mighty works of God, not talking about themselves and about how great they are, but about God and his works and how great God is. And they understand there's something occurring that's made possible by the power of God's spirit. And that's still the case to this day. We as Christians have a basis for understanding each other across cultural lines, political lines, and it's something that the world cannot explain. It's because we share a common Lord and a common spirit that we have a common language in the spirit even though we actually may speak French you know I feel sorry for French speaking people but hey some people are stuck with French but anyway, I'm joking but I hope you get what I'm driving at and even in the situation that we find ourselves in we're, we're divided because of very different uh, interests and things pulling us in different directions, we as Christians have uh, something that pulls us together that's stronger. It's the Spirit of God because of the work of Christ. And the other thing that's noteworthy about this is this is a harvest festival, Pentecost. There are three harvest festivals uh, following Passover. The very first is the Harvest of the first fruits. First fruits means see the, uh, the, the very first cuttings in faith are brought to the temple, and there's a celebration and an anticipation of a great harvest that will come about later in, this, in, in the year. So that's the first fruits. And then there's Pentecost, which is another harvest festival which occurs, as I noted earlier, seven weeks after Passover. And what we have here is a gathering in, har- is this is a harvest. And what's implied is that from this point on to the end of the world, a great harvest is being gathered. That harvest is, is uh, being gathered by the proclamation of the gospel. And there's a cutting, it's as though a sickle uh, is, is, is drawn out and used to cut. And we're told here in this uh, account, in verse 37, that those who heard were cut to the heart. There was a cutting. And in that harvest, there were believers who were brought in and made part of this people, the people of God. And this is all done in anticipation of a final harvest, the third harvest in in the annual cycle with you know, if you look at leviticus chapter twenty three is of course the feast of booths but there will be a final day a final harvest where everything is accounted for and there's a separation of wheat and tares and sheep and goats and it's 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 that harvest that we're we're laboring towards at the present time uh, because pentecost this is the period of pentecost that we find ourselves in these are the last days so to speak And there's a final judgment that we are anticipating, that we're looking for. And we know what to anticipate or what to expect because of the first fruits. Who was the first fruit? Christ, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I think it's verse 23 or 32. Christ is called the first fruits. Everyone who's gathered in from that point on is part of that, that second great Harvest Festival, Pentecost, where we're we're incorporated, made part of a, a great people who all speak the same language and are named by our Savior as his followers. But we're anticipating the final day, that great getting up morning, when the resurrection, broadly speaking, occurs, and all those who are called by his name and truly redeemed Enjoy the f- the full uh, benefits, or the full uh, uh, the f- well, the word benefits fits just fine. The full benefits of salvation, and that's what we're looking forward to. So, with all those things in mind, now you know the rest of the story. You got the backstory, you got this story, and the rest of the story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we're a part of a great story that we didn't make up, that we are swept up in, and we're grateful for it. We're just not all that creative. We can't really tell a good story about ourselves. It's just miserable and vainglorious when we try. We pray, Lord, that you give us a greater appreciation for all the good things that, are, that we enjoy because of the fact that we're part of a story that you're telling. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to share that story with other people so that they can join in, in the, on the good things too. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.